You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning everybody, this is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast on this uh, rainy uh, Saturday morning. Uh, it's chilly out there and it's raining and hopefully you're listening under your warm doona. A uh, bit of politics with your Wheaties. Uh, Today we're going to have a yarn with uh, Aaron my Vaganen, who uh, is a um, member of the uh, um, Tamil Refugee Council and a uh, former um, candidate for the Victorian Socialists for the last Victorian election. He was at uh, Andrew Giles' office uh, on Friday. He, Andrew Giles is the um, Minister for uh, Immigration and uh, the uh, young... Refugees Collective and Victorian Socialists went there to uh, uh, make a noise around the 12,000 refugees that have been left languishing uh, and uh, on uh, without any um, permanent visas or permanent status in this country. And uh, Aaron was arrested. Uh, we're going to catch up with Aaron to find out more about his arrest and uh, what it means and uh, also to uh, go over the issue of those refugees that have been left languishing. We're going to talk to Laura from Save the Preston Market, just a reminder of that particular campaign. Uh, there's going to be a public meeting on uh, Friday, May the 12th, 6.30 at the Preston Town Hall. So we're going to get um, Laura to give us a little bit more information about how that campaign's going. We're going to hear from uh, Tanya De Jong. I spoke to her about a musical called Driftwood, which is uh, playing at Chapel on Chapel at the moment. It's going till May the 20th. And uh, this is the week that was. This, uh, we're going to talk to Jeremy Pox... Poxton from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union about uh, uh, what uh, raising the rate effectively before the uh, um, and the issues that are going on around it, the conversation that's been going around the need to raise the rate, um, the dole, and for all those people who are dependent on the. Um, uh, social security system and who have been uh, kept at an incredibly low, below uh, the Henderson level, uh, all on poverty rates, uh, leading into the federal budget, which is on Tuesday. But before we get on to that, a few messages and a bit of news. Music. 
Join the National Day of Action on May 13th to mark 75 years since the Nakba, also known as the catastrophe, when 80% of the Palestinian people were ethnically cleansed from their homeland and over 530 Palestinian villages destroyed to create the State of Israel. Today, Palestinians on a daily basis are still resisting the loss of their homeland and human rights, insisting on their right of return and sharing their truth. Join them in their fight for justice and a free Palestine at 1 p.m. Saturday, May 13th at the State Library. That's 1 p.m. Saturday, 13th of May. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. I've got a couple of things I wanted to share with you. One of them was something that came out of the uh, Save Our Songlines. You might be aware of uh, the issue of Amura Junga, the uh, 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 sacred rock art sites in Western Australia that are constantly being... um, undermined and destroyed by the Woodside uh, Company as it does, it's involved in um, the various uh, projects that are there. And uh, they sent out, Save Our Songline sent out this uh, release on the 19th of April. Uh, Today at the National Press Club, Woodside CEO Meg O'Neill admitted that Woodside removed sacred Murujunga rock art during previous construction of the Burup Hub Mega Project. This is the first time Woodside has taken public responsibility for their destruction of thousands of rock art sites on Murujunga. Woodside has previously been responsible for the destruction of thousands of sacred rock art sites in the construction of earlier parts of its Burupub mega project, including the Karatha gas plant and Pluto LNG processing facility. On 19th of April, Meg O'Neill described the historical removals some of which occurred as recently as the 21st century as, in inverted commas, culturally appropriate at the time. Save Our Songline spokeswoman uh, Raylene Cooper uh, said the following in response, For Meg O'Neill to describe the destruction of our sacred rock art with bulldozers as culturally appropriate at the time, quite frankly, beggars belief and is deeply offensive. How can she say it was culturally appropriate? Who did Woodside ask for permission? And who gave them cultural authority? Where was the consultation process? This is our sacred cultural heritage that Woodside bulldozed into the sea. Since the 1960s, archaeologists and experts have been clear about the cultural heritage significance of this rock art, but Woodside continued to damage, remove and destroy our rock art. How was it culturally appropriate? It was not then and it is not now. It is misleading for anyone to suggest otherwise. Woodside has been responsible for the destruction of thousands of sacred rock art sites in the construction of earlier parts of its Burup Hub mega project. I'm relieved that finally Woodside have publicly admitted their responsibility, but now they need to guarantee they won't continue to damage our rock art on Murudunga and toxic with toxic emissions from their ongoing Burup hub expansion. 
The Burrup Peninsula in Western Australia is known as Muradunga to traditional custodians, a deeply sacred place that contains the largest, oldest collection of Aboriginal rock art in the world. This priceless cultural treasure is currently nominated for UNESCO Pub World Heritage Listing, but the sacred songlines and stories contained in these carvings are being damaged by emissions from the Burrup Hub and face total destruction within decades, says Save Our Songlines. Woodside's Burrup Hub is the biggest new fossil fuel project in Australia. It consists of the Scarborough and Browse Basin gas fields, the Pluto Project Processing Plant and other linked liquefied national gas, LNG, and fertiliser plants in Burrup Peninsula in Western Australia's remote northwest Pilbara region. The Burrup Hub is projected to produce more than 6 billion tonnes of CO2 by 2070, making it four times larger than the Adani coal mine and one of the biggest carbon bombs in the world. There you go. That's a nice piece of uh, sugar to go on your Wheaties. Um, another piece of uh, unpleasant news is Port Melbourne is about to change forever. 89 historic homes to be destroyed by a state government that has refused to consult with residents. A campaign of intimidation and harassment. Port Melbourne's most vulnerable face an unsafe certain future. This is coming from Save Barak Beacon Estate. No plan in place. The state government is demolishing but has no plans to present to the community. Alternatives exist. Low-cost, highly efficient, non-destructive plans exist. The state government refused to look at them. Destructive for all, excessive noise, lower property values and a degraded environment. That's what they say. The state government is set to destroy 89 historic homes and the lives of those who live there with no plan for what will be built in place. Six years after demolitions on other estates, the state government has failed to construct anything. Not-for-profit architects' office have produced plans that would exceed state government goals and allow residents to stay in place. The Minister of Housing has refused to respond to all concerned groups. Instead, there has been a campaign of intimidation and harassment against residents. Um, The uh, Barak Beacon Estate... um, the uh, you can find out more about it by going online because they've got a campaign. But on uh, Thursday at eleven thirty, they're going to hold a press conference on the steps of Parliament House around this issue. And um, I'll have to say that the, these particular um, uh, uh, this particular building, which is a low rise uh, set of nineteen uh, seventies. Um, um, flats, effectively, you know, that you know, relatively modern, are actually uh, line a um, a very nice park, <clears throat> and I might be forgiven for saying that um, maybe it's because the location's so nice and salubrious that they want to get rid of the public housing for um, much more money for some developer. But that's just me uh, saying. But anyway, uh, to show support, go to the steps at 11.30 on Thursday to the press conference to hear more about what's going on at the Barack Beacon estate. 
It's been led by um, a, a person who's been living there for a, a quite a long time. And, uh, of course, these people are all losing their security of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, to live, you know. It's, it's a, a terrible outcome for them uh, and probably a terrible outcome for us in uh, despite all the, the talking about social housing and all the rest of it, these social housing developments. Um, on a happier note, really, May Day, um, the May Day committee in, uh, at the uh, Trades Hall have always uh, decided that they'd uh, celebrate May Day on the Sunday after, the closest, uh, uh, the Monday after uh, May the 1st. Um, and I think it's uh, around the notion that uh, more families, etc., can turn up and more people, working people can turn up uh, on that day. So that's tomorrow, Sunday, May the 7th. Uh, meet at the front of Trades Hall, corner of Ligon and Victoria Street, 12.30pm. There will be stalls, a barbecue and singing. And uh, there's also, on, at 1pm, there's going to be uh, the Trades Hall uh, Union Choir, there's going to be speakers. There's going to be a march at 2 p.m. That's when the march will start. 3 p.m. There's going to be concluding speakers. Uh, the um, speakers are going to be talking about the um, silicus silicus uh, engineering stone um, campaign. Uh, they're going to talk about the AUKUS military pact. Later on, they're going to talk about the global environmental crisis the voice ref- referendum and um, the general May Day message. Uh, so turn up and have some fun. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and uh, some more interesting... Um, let's see, what will we do? I think what we'll do is have a nice little song. <laughs>
Worried about the climate crisis, but not sure how to help? Whether you want to make your voice heard in our democracy, help out with local sustainability projects, or hit the streets to protest for change, Climate Carnival has something for everyone. This two-day festival is your chance to meet a range of local climate and environment groups, get the facts on climate crisis, and find out what you can do to make a difference. There'll be talks and workshops, music, comedy, kids' activities, and more. So come to Mycelium Studios in Brunswick East on Saturday 6th and Sunday 7th of May. Make some new friends and find your place in the movement. For more information, look up Climate Carnival on Facebook. Climate Carnival is a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we were listening to a lovely piece of music from... uh, the uh, Black Orchid String Band. It was called Stars. And uh, we've got Aaron Malwagunen. What happened on Thursday? Tell us what happened on Thursday. Um, So, yeah, it was on uh, on Thursday. We uh, organised a protest uh, out at uh, Andrew Giles' office demanding permanent protection uh, for all refugees permanent protection visas. Andrew Giles is the immigration minister, uh, and his office is based in uh, Thomastown, uh, next to the train station. Uh, And so we started uh, the protest at the train station and went inside Andrew Giles' office and occupied the office uh, for about half an hour. uh, And then Andrew Giles' uh, uh, office uh, uh, workers um, called the uh, called the police um, and then the the police came and and told us that we can't be protesting uh, inside uh, the office and and told us to leave um, yeah it's um, uh, and then uh, unfortunate things happened um, you know the, the the protest was attended by uh, supporters and refugees, and refugees uh, spoke at this uh, rally. Uh, they were young children. One was uh, only six months uh, old. Uh, they were um, school-age kids uh, who 
uh, spoke as well. Uh, and, you know, these people are in a desperate situation. They came to this country uh, 10, 12 years ago, and uh, the, the, the Labour government, um, while granting uh, permanent visas to uh, families like the Priyanade's uh, family, uh, they are um, ignoring everybody else who are in the same situation as uh, that family, and um, you know we 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 are uh, putting up a fight to make sure no one is left behind. Well, you know, um, it is an unusual thing that uh, you would have been handcuffed and then taken away and kept for three hours. That does seem pretty excessive. Well, the police came and uh, and told us uh, to leave the office. And um, so we, um, you know, although, you know, we had the right to protest, um, I, I don't think that we were breaching any any laws by um, uh, by occupying that uh, office. Well, he is a public representative. To... He, I mean, that's what that office is for. That's right. And um, when um, they told us to move on, we uh, I was making sure that every refugee left that office safely. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the the police officer uh, wouldn't let me uh, be there, and uh, uh, and then they pushed me and and you know put me to a uh, to a corner uh, and you know used excessive force to arrest me. I wasn't resisting at all. They twisted my arm. Um, you know, three days on. Uh, my arm is still uh, hurting uh, because of uh, how they uh, handled me. Um, yeah, it's um, uh, it wasn't necessary. The, the two officers who were there at the start, they were quite intimidating. One of them uh, removed their uh, camera uh, and, and were showing it in, into people's uh, faces. Um, uh, it's, uh, it seems like, you know, we were dealing with, uh, uh, two police officers who were, uh, racially, you know, who were quite racist. Yeah, that's curious, isn't it? And of course, what you're saying is that there were, uh, refugees there as themselves. So perhaps, um, anyway, we won't, uh, jump to conclusions, but, uh, uh, I know that, uh, you were also, uh, there with, uh, Members of uh, NUS students, people like that. Yeah, they were students uh, from Latrobe University. They were members of Victorian uh, Socialists uh, at this uh, uh, rally as well. Um, we, you know, we wanted to make sure uh, that these twelve thousand people are not ignored. Um, at the moment, Labour Party enjoys. So much support uh, from the community, um, despite them continuing uh, liberals' uh, cruel policies uh, towards refugees. Because, because uh, we should, um, I'd like you to tease out for the listeners if they don't know this: the significance of 2013. Well, 
2013 was the the last time Labour was in power. Uh, they reopened uh, Manus and Nauru detention centre. Uh, they are the reason why these 12,000 people are still in limbo. You know, they uh, face an uncertain future because they refuse to assess these people's claims. Like all these refugees who are in the community fighting for permanent protection visas, they all came to Australia when Labour was last in power. And um, and then they left these people in the hands of liberals who destroyed uh, uh, their lives. Uh, so many people died by died by suicide and or or, or other uh, uh, health issues uh, related to uh, being uh, in you know either in detention or in the community facing uncertain future. Um, and now Labour is back in power. These people are. Uh, they're only demanding to, you know, get permanent protection visas. They've been put through an unfair process by the the, the coalition government, uh, which is called the fast track system, and uh, uh, the the fast track system unfairly uh, targeted uh, uh, Tamils as well, um, and and. Uh, Many of the the refugees who are part of the twelve thousand are, are Tamils, and, um, and 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 the protest on Thursday was attended largely by Tamil refugees as well. Uh, we are asking the Labour government to grant these people permanent protection visas. There's so many young kids who are worried about their future. They should be at school studying, you know, not. Um, occupying uh, immigration minister's office. Well, as you say, uh, you point out, these are young kids. It's quite clear that their parents who had come here have built lives. People, everybody who are here, um, you know, have been in Australia for at least uh, 10 years. They are in the same situation exactly the same situation as Korean Nadi's family was before they were taken into detention. They've, uh, you know, they work uh, here. Uh, they, um, you know, a lot of the children were born here. So Sri Lanka is a foreign country to them. Uh, and um, when, uh, yeah, when they uh, were denied uh, protection visas, they have appealed their decision and it's before the courts. Now, when the courts say that uh, uh, there was no judicial errors in assessing their application, these people will be deported back to Sri Lanka. There are 12,000 people facing deportation. Uh, We want the Labour government to come out and say that these people will be given permanent protection visas or will not be deported uh, at the least. You know, you know when you were uh, it, it, it uh, the re- it, when you were taken to the police station, you were kept for three hours, weren't you? What happened? Yeah, I was um, yeah taken in a in a van, handcuffed. They wouldn't even loosen the handcuff. It was hurting all the way through. Um, I. I was taken into uh, the police station and uh, they uh, interviewed me. 
fortunately, I had a lawyer representing me. Uh, and as a result, um, they uh, released me um, straight away um, after, after the interview. Uh, so the whole process took about three hours. So it was really just to um, distress you, do you think? I mean, I don't know uh, what I did wrong. All I was trying to uh, do was uh, to make sure uh, all refugees were safely out of that uh, building. Um, obviously, if they, if they charge me at a later date, they can charge me within 12 months. Uh, then I'll uh, I'll deal with it, um, but so far there is no charges laid against me. And also, people aren't going to stop. I mean, th- people are in desperate, in a desperate situation. This sort of intimidating uh, tactics is just going to strengthen uh, strengthen the uh, the movement. It's going to strengthen. Um, refugees who are turning up to uh, to these uh, rallies. Um, well, that's what the uh, the reception has been so far. So many refugees have been calling me over the last two days, uh, showing their support and, um, and and wanting to get involved in uh, future actions. Uh, hopefully. There will be more people in future actions, and and we'll build this and 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 and, and fight till we get some sort of response uh, that gives certainty to these people's future. Thanks for talking to us this morning, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Annie. Yeah, and that was Aaron Mo Vaganen uh, around um, his uh, being arrested at a, on Thursday. Uh, at a rally at uh, um, Andrew Giles's office in Thomastown. He is the uh, Immigration Minister and we're talking 12,000 um, people who need permanent visas, who've built lives. They've been here for uh, over 10 years. Things need to change. Oh. Casanova, I ain't no Romeo. Come on, mm-hmm. I hold her down. Hustle night and day, time flies on the grind. Pause for the moment, pay my gratitude to time. I'm scheming hard, trying to leave this life behind. A hundred plus hours was a nine to five. I see more planes than most. Living out of hotels more than home. Rolling up and down these coasts I can tell you this life ain't an Instagram post And when I'm not around I know you holding it down Trying to keep a calm while I'm rocking out of town This Rolling Stone life ain't as cute as it sound Trying hard not to let this life tear us down Changes we both went through Not many could have seen it through Let you know I want to build with you Take a moment to appreciate you future of my grand designs i'm rhyming hard trying to leave this life behind a hundred plus hours to perfect each line Ooh, let me kiss the sky 
Hold on a moment, let me testify. Don't know why you acting surprised. I can see my future in your eyes. Like the sun needs the moon. Me plus you. Let us play on this earth and discover the truth. You're not just my muse, my moment of youth. A reason for the grind in everything that I do. You're the definition of a dream. The star of this movie scene. You're the inspiration I need. Let you know every king needs a queen. Can you be mine? Solidarity Breakfast and that was Mal Power with Better Life which is a perfect song for people who need to be given uh, permanent status in Australia uh, fleeing uh, persecution. Laura save the Preston market. How are you this morning? Hi, very well. It's unfortunate it's raining but It's cold and wet. Oh, really? Oh, really? Is that what you're doing right this instant? Well, shortly. The whole group um, volunteers on a Saturday um, to either collect signatures or do whatever is required. And we have a town hall meeting, so we want to let as many people know. Um, And so we'll be out around the the Preston Market handing out leaflets. Oh, good. Well, take an umbrella, put on some nice woolly clothes and a... um, and uh, you're uh, waterproofs, and perhaps you'll you'll survive the day. I think we will. Uh, nothing's going to stop us anyway. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, apparently, uh, the Victorian Planning Authority recommendations also say that there should be um, a, a special care of Preston Market. Yes, they've, the the recommendation came through. Um, it's all positive for the campaign. What is still unknown is how much of the market um, will be protected, what the heritage overlay means. So we're excited. It's a good step forward, but we still need further clarity. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't yeah. want to trust them. Oh, well, yes, definitely not going to trust anything unless it's in writing, that's for sure. Yeah. So tell us what your group is hoping for. Yeah, okay. No worries. So I'll oh, just some background as well because I think it's important. I saw a post calling for volunteers um, on Facebook to save the market. I had no idea that the market was even privately owned. I've lived in Preston all my life. Um, I quickly joined up because, for me, Preston Market is our lifeline. It's the centre of what we do, um, you know, especially because I grew up in Preston. Um, I joined the campaign. I started doing stalls. Our message is clear. We say no to demolition of the market. We say save the footprint. 
And further to that, we want public acquisition. That's the only way going forward the market will be protected. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really odd, isn't it, that uh, something that is so integral to the uh, vibrancy and uh, sustainability of uh, a, a community like Preston should be in private hands. Yes, uh, our thoughts exactly. It's as important as a road. And I want to stress as well that it's not just Preston. I mean, I've done the stalls every Saturday for, you know, I think it's two years now um, with, with absolute pleasure. And we talk to people that are from Milk Park or from, you know, Bandura or from Doncaster, Baldwin. I mean, it's not just a Darabin icon. I think everyone enjoys the market. Just like, you know, one of the things to do if you're a tourist is to go to the Victoria market. There's no reason why the Preston market wouldn't be a, a landing spot either. You know, it's just critical. Yeah, yeah, because it's the open airness, it's the uh, interaction, right. it's uh, community, isn't it? I mean, it's so That's different right. from a supermarket. Uh, it's completely different. It was a saviour during COVID for a lot of families. You know, it was an opportunity to see someone undercover <laughs> um, at a market, um, you know, and it was, and it still is a melting pot of so many cultures. Preston, you know, had. Italian influence has Greek influence. It now has, you know, Lebanese, Chinese, Vietnamese. It's just a melting pot. So to have every single culture that, you know, I know of in Victoria represented at that market, it's it's just beyond a, a fresh produce place. It's a community gathering spot. It's everything. It really is why I devote so many hours to this campaign. So tell us about the public meeting. Yeah, we'll do. So the public meeting is on Friday the 12th of May at 6.30. Just head down to the Preston Shire Hall, which is next door to the town hall. Um, we basically invited the Premier, the Planning Minister, the Mayor of Darabin, other local uh, politicians and the developers to come in and really listen to the community about what we want for the Preston market. So it'll be an interesting meeting. Um, we'll have a couple of presenters as well, just to give people a, an update of where we're at with the SAC report, etc. But it'll be about hearing the community voice. Yeah, great. And so tell me, do you have any understanding of any timelines that the developer is uh, and the government are interested in? Because obviously the government is mm. pretty hand-in-glove with this developer. Look, it, yes. Yes, they are. But there's no timeline. There's no time frame. You know, the SAC report recommendation was due in December and we only got it a short time ago. So as far as the timeline is concerned, there isn't one. Uh, we're waiting for the Minister of Planning to make a decision. And it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. else will stress. <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because in actual fact, this is a real hot potato. This is this is a, a line in the sand, isn't it? Yeah. Look, it it really is the pivotal point of our campaign, and I guess what will happen for the future of the uh, market. So, yeah, I think this is a good chance for everyone to be heard. So, uh, we've had confirmation that the mayor and the a representative of um, the Premier will attend. We're still waiting for Salter to um, 
you know, send in whether or not they will attend. But I think it'll be a good meeting to let everyone understand and hear where we're at. So that's fr- uh, Friday, May the 12th, 6.30, yep. 6:30. Preston Town Hall. Preston Shire Hall, yeah. 286 Gower Street, Preston. All right. Um, good luck and uh, good luck Thanks. with your um, uh, leafleting. Thanks very much Thank for so coming much. onto the show. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. You know, we won't stop. We want the market saved. Yeah, that was Laura from uh, Save the Preston Market and more strength to her arm. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. Enjoy the splendour of Ripponley Estates Gardens at the Botanica Festival featuring an open-air market, plant and garden book sale as well as freshly baked scones with jam and cream. Join a garden tour, visit the mansion or enjoy the various displays. Botanica is made possible by the city of Glen Ira. The Botanica Festival on Mother's Day, Sunday May the 14th between 10am and 3pm. For more information, go to ripponlee.com.au. Ripponlee Estate is owned and managed by the National Trust of Victoria, a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we're going to go to an an event that's running. It's a musical, in fact. It's an Australian musical uh, called Driftwood. It's actually a uh, a family story. It's uh, the lead. One of the leads is Tanya De Jong, and I had a chat with her. But it's more complicated than that. It's the story of her uh, grandmother, her mother, and herself. And it's a Holocaust story, really. But it's also a story about uh, arriving in Australia and building a new life. Uh, the uh, musical is quite extraordinary, as I say in this conversation with Tanya. Um, not a great fan of musicals myself, but to see such uh, and hear such uh, accomplished singers uh, and uh, such an accomplished production. It's at uh, Chapel on Chapel. Uh, very interesting. So we'll leave it to Tanya to tell you more about it. Hi, Annie. How are you? Good. A fabulous show last night. Fabulous show, Driftwood. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. It's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> We're absolutely thrilled. Is this a, uh, a new production for Australia? Yes. Where, uh, can you tell us about how uh, it, uh, it came about, this production at this time? Yes. Um, so we started, so Mum, my mother Eva de Young Doldig launched her memoir in 2017. And as a result of that, uh, I read the book and I was completely blown away by a family's story. I mean, I knew some of the story, but I had no idea of the extent of the sacrifices, the losses, um, the way that art had helped my grandparents to survive and restart their lives in Australia in spite of the terrible trauma that they went through. And I read the book and I just thought, wow, wouldn't this be amazing to to be on stage or on film? And then because I'm an opera singer and a musician, I thought, well, I love musical theatre. And so I immediately contacted my friend Anthony Barnhill, who's the most exceptionally talented composer and musician and pianist. And he started 
composing some songs for the show and of course now he's written the majority of the lyrics as well and then we um, had COVID and then that sort of delayed the production. We did a first run of the show last year but it was entirely different to what it is now and we commissioned Jane Bodie originally to write an original play which was called Driftwood and then Gary Abrahams, our director, has adapted Jane's play further and directed this this new version of Driftwood the musical. Yeah, it's quite amazing. The uh, for a person uh the the level of musical um mastery in this particular production is quite uh, gobsmacking. The not just the uh the singers who who are on stage for all the time and do an enormous amount of singing. I mean, you guys must go into training. I I was so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're training all the time, you know, the, the more that you perform and, and you know, tread the boards, uh, the more that you can keep your skills, you know, um, maintained and improve your skills all the time because, you know, we're working with an extraordinary group, extraordinary cast, including Anton Berezin as Carl, Bridget Costello is playing the role of Eva, Michaela Berger as Rella and uh, Nelson Gardner playing various roles and of course I'm playing the role of my inspirational grandmother who invented the foldable umbrella and we're working with an extraordinary creative team so we're constantly refining and developing our skills and working out what is the best way to tell this story and as our director says it's like creating a sculpture you know you start with a block of wood and then you chisel away at it and you keep on working on the work to make it better and better yeah well that's exactly what you've done uh, the um stage setting and uh the way it moves through time without requiring uh uh cha changes to the set except for the rather uh clever very clever device of the strip of uh paper across the ceiling that uh, allows mm -hmm. you to do projections. That was a very clever idea. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we have an exceptional, you know, creative team, as I said, and wonderful set designer, Jacob Batista and Justin Gardam, who's done these incredible projections, the wonderful lighting designer, Harry Hogan, and our costume designer, Kim Bishop. Uh, just, it's a, it's a dream team, you know, to work with these people and create a work of this substance and this originality, an Australian story, a true Australian story of real depth. And this is what we need a lot more of in Australia. We need a lot more shows that are telling real stories and, you know, entertainment for entertainment's sake is wonderful. You know, who can take anything away from wonderful shows that, you know, are from overseas and that are glorious and have huge, big budgets like Phantom of the Opera, for example. But there's a, there's a real place for us to make these sorts of works and then take them to the world and show people, you know, the depth of community and resilience and survival that underpins most people who live in Australia who are migrants, you know, this is a true migrant story. What was it like to, I mean, this is actually a story about uh, three generations of women in your family, uh, your your grandmother, 
your mother and then you. Um, it, and it's interwoven together, isn't it? it it's quite a, an extraordinary, it must be quite an emotional experience for you. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, I'm wearing my grandmother's earrings in the show. And, I mean, she was an inspirational person. I mean, the the not only was she an incredible inventor of the umbrella, the foldable umbrella in Vienna in 1929, but she also invented and designed furniture and other things and she was a wonderful sculptor and artist as well as my grandfather was. And she lost a lot of her creative impulse after going through so much trauma and so much uncertainty. I mean, the show is called Driftwood because our family, my grandparents felt like they were like a piece of driftwood being tossed into the ocean to then land on a shore only to be swept out again, never really knowing where home was going to be for a number of years. And that was very destabilizing for her and she couldn't create work for, for many years. Where my grandfather was really able to, his work was like his escape and it was how he was able to always see salvation to get through everything. So it took my grandmother a long time to then come back to her work, but luckily she did. And she was able to create some more incredible works in her lifetime. But of course, the level of losses that my family experienced on all sides of our family, my, of course, my grandparents lost the majority of their families, you know, parents, brothers, sisters, you know, it's so tragic. Um, you know, even on my dad's side too, though we're not covering that story. That's a whole other musical, I think. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I'm not a great fan of musicals in a sense. I, I find them a bit tiresome because they seem to, uh, you know, there's a single idea and then they repeat the single idea over and over. But, of course, that's a rather a, sh a shallow way of looking at it. And I was um, really quite uh, taken by the uh, depth of the musicality, the music itself, because it's very evocative. And I was also really um, taken by the different voices and the mastery within those voices. And I was also really taken by the cleverness of the stage staging, the uh, the director's uh, approach to movement oh, yes. across stage. Very clever. Yeah, well, it's an amazing journey because the show covers three generations and three continents. And to create that with a single set is, well, not really because he, he's able to use his extraordinary creative imagination to create multiple different scenarios quite brilliantly. And, uh, yeah, Gary Abrahams is an absolute genius and uh, we're very lucky to be working with him. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And uh, also the uh, place. Um, and like you said, you know, it's all very well to have the ma a major uh, theatre like The Princess showing The Phantom of the Opera, but it's a fa fabulous uh, chapel on chapel is such an intimate uh, place to be working. Oh, it certainly is. It's, it's lovely. And that's, you know, we could have put this show in a larger theatre, but we really feel like some of the people in the audience last night and certainly last season as well, describe it as stepping on a train with us and being on that journey and they just cannot get off until they find out what happens. And I think people feel that sense of immediacy with this story and they feel part 
of the family. And it's important to say that this is not just my family's story. I mean, this is a story of all our collective stories, of our collective sacrifice and suffering as human beings. It's also a story, a very important story of how dangerous it is when we discriminate against any group of people. And that has always led to atrocities throughout human history. And it's so important that we do never discriminate, that we speak out, that we never remain silent, silent, sorry, in the face of any type of discrimination. Well, it plays till uh, March 20 here and then it moves on to Sydney, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. So uh, we're very, you know, we're very um, grateful to be working with this team. We're very grateful um, for the incredible response of the audiences. We've had two out of two standing ovations so far and last year, of course, we completely sold out our season in Melbourne and now we're taking the show to Sydney as, as well from the 24th of May until the 18th of June and then we're taking Gary and Anthony and working with American performers in New York to, to set this up um, in New York and see what sort of interest we can get from the theatre owners and investors in New York. Wow, that's really exciting. Um, I also <laughs> I also have to t doff my hat to the incredible publicist you've got or publicity team uh, because I'll, I'll direct people to the fact that they can go to the website and then they can have a dinner date and then a theatre experience. It's all beautifully uh, worked out. <laughs> it is. It's so nice. Well, no, that's my, my work. <laughs> oh, well, you uh, are a master. <laughs> no, no, just not just me, but my work with my, my wonderful team too. And the Chapel Street Precinct. It's so nice to have, you know, four restaurants, really good restaurants who are helping promote this and they're providing beautiful dinner packages and, you know, particularly some beautiful ones like Borscht, Vodka and Cheese, the Polish restaurant, which provided dumplings last night at our opening. And it's just beautiful having that support from the community. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to me. No, that's a pleasure. And please, everyone, go to driftwoodthemusical.com.au and book your tickets before they sell out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Tanya De Jong. Uh, and she was talking about the, uh, pro the uh, musical Driftwood, which is on at Chapel... Um, Chapel on Chapel, that's what it is. Uh, and uh, it's it's running till May the 20th, not March the 20th, May the 20th. Uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. A week Solidarity Bricky team listener when this morning will join the mainstream media in delivering blanket coverage of the greatest event most of us will live through, the coronation of our head of state, King Big Ears. But first... A couple of very mundane and prosaic items by comparison. Interesting that the way the use of a word can change its meaning to its very opposite. Mundane, literally worldly, but now expressing the opposite. Just thought I'd throw that in, because there's nothing mundane about King Big Ears, unlike the week that was. But let's give ourselves a pat on the back, because last week we were spot on. 
Our prediction that after the wall-to-wall coverage of Train Killer Celebration Day would come wall-to-wall non-coverage of May Day, unless there was violence somewhere between workers and the... Sorry, the uh, police, and right on cue, the only coverage how violent workers attacked the poor, gentle constabulary in France. Well, there were truly important, much more important matters to cover, like a publicly funded Tasmanian footy team, and of course the ubiquitous Fashion Week, or whatever is uh, this week's truly vital fashion event, always featuring the in-depth interview with a model who tells us how much she just loves the event and the colour and the social elite in the front row and the exciting fashion label. And the Reserve Bank stuck it up working families with a mortgage again. And the banks accommodated the sticking it up by sticking it up for mortgagees, but not sticking it up for depositors, because that seems to be much more difficult to calculate. And the Witch Bank, which used to be our bank, announced record profits and celebrated with its lazy, avaricious workers by announcing it was sacking, or sorry, sadly having to let go, 230 of them. What thanks? God, imagine if they hadn't made a huge profit. Many sadly let go workers in anti-scam and fraud teams, whom they obviously don't need because the finance Her Most Gracious Majesty's Royal Con Mission showed the witch bank which used to be, well, all our highly respected and respectable banks know all about scams and frauds. And the danger with a scams and frauds workforce is one might get a conscience and become a whistleblower. And the northern Troublewazzy socialists approved approved, uh, fracking in the Beetaloo Basin, flushing the environment down Alu, not needing a referendum to ignore the voice of the local indigenous people who obviously oppose progress and throw up irrelevant arguments like it will destroy their country. And environmental groups complained, but but they would, wouldn't they? Arguing that fracking will release at least 22 million tonnes a year of emissions, scope one, not counting scope two and three contributions. But apart from these naysayers, the really exciting news was that the share prices of sand toss us the profits and other great resource companies doing this for the good of all of us soared. Shareholders dancing in the streets better than dancing where they might fall down a fracking hole. And the northern Troublewazzy socialist Supremo Natasha files the objections, said direct quote, Now is the time for the Northern Territory to provide the energy that the world needs to transmission to renewable energies. Let's repeat that because we can't satirise it. Now is the time for the Northern Territory to provide the energy that the world needs to transition to renewable energy. Ah? And one resource supremo, also direct quote, said, The Beetaloo will play an important role in providing the Northern Territory, Trublewazi, and the Asian region energy security for decades indicating the transition could take a little while at 22 million tonnes a year. And a McDonald's salt, sugar and fat franchise in South Troublewazzy admitted it had conducted an unlawful five-year campaign to deunionise its workforce, barring union members from promotion and threatening to cut permanent workers' hours unless they shifted to casual employment. 
one worker admitting she resigned from the union after ruthless threats, her quote, ruthless threats, but then had her hours slashed anyway because she raised a safety issue. Fair enough, she clearly threatened the safety of shareholders' dividends. After all, if every worker raised every safety issue, what would that do for productivity? And it's not like caring employers like McDonald's, salt, sugar and fat don't care about safety. Well, apart from the safety of the customers devouring the salt, sugar and fat. And a, and a week earlier, big supremo Anthony Albinguzi attended a men's only birthday bash for one of Trubler Wazzy's filthiest rich of the filthy rich, Lindsay Foxy, a beneficiary of much government largesse. Socialising with the filthiest rich of, and no doubt explaining to them the error of their way. Oh, and he told us the government can't afford to assist the poorest of the poor. After all, we have to find that 38 mil a day for 30 years to protect us with nuclear train killer thingies. Although a report this week said that may be 50% under the real figure. 57 mil a day. So how can we possibly afford to assist the poorest of? And then Anthony attended the wedding of an extreme right nasty, nasty shock jock no doubt alerting the acolytes of the filthiest rich, the wannabes, of the error of their ways, while telling us the government can't afford to assist the poorest of. And then Anthony dropped into Brisbane to wish workers a happy May Day, a true socialist, while telling them the government can't afford to assist the poorest of. We've got that 38 mil a day, but maybe we can help the poorest of by turning them into cannon fodder, dropped in on his way to the big event in London to swear allegiance to big ears, amid the massive filthiest rich of opulence on display, reminding us the government can't possibly afford to assist the poorest of. But what a comforting thought for the poorest of, long to reign over us. Doesn't that give us a feeling of security, knowing big ears in London will long reign over us? God save the king, because with big ears and God, what could go wrong? And Anthony visited a shipyard where they build the nuclear thingies and told us they would tr provide thousands of jobs and transform the true blue Aussie economy like the car industry, which some spoil sport train killer economist said was crap, although not sure we needed to be told that. And we asked Anthony if he had considered building things that don't uh, kill people, and he told us that was silly and threatened Trubler was his security. And reports this week the architect of the Forkus groveling deal, former big supremo Scummo, was about to get a job in her, her now His Most Gracious Majesty's home country's nuclear subs industry, joining a queue of those serving the merchants of death who have been rewarded by the merchants of death. And as the commemorations of injured and murdered workers received equal coverage with May Day, the state socialist government got into the spirit of the solemn occasion by preparing to announce it would exclude workplace problems like stress, overwork, anxiety from work cover. Because it needs to save money so it can remove level crossings and make cars go faster and find lots of money for non-public housing. 
And that 15% wage rise for aged care workers will boost the public spending on aged care to about $30 billion. But at least, we chatted with big economic guru Jim Chalmers Capital, it will be publicly controlled, publicly owned. Uh, no, no, that's not right, Jim corrected us. It will continue to be run by the private sector. Oh, then why is the public purse picking up their wages bill? Efficiency. The private sector can't afford to pay workers and contribute the important service it provides. Then why is it involved? Well, profit. Silly. Profit. But, but you said they can't even afford to pay their workers. Well, you can't have both. It's one or the other, and, and they've chosen the other or the one, whichever, uh, right, right. And don't forget the $30 billion also includes the cost of raising standards as recommended by the aged care inquiry. Hang on, the, the government is paying to raise standards for the private owners. Obviously, the private sector can't afford wages and raising the standards and making a profit. So it chose one of the three. Yeah, now you've got it. Thanks, Jim. That's obviously the free bit of free enterprise. But poor aged care caring employers, although if they're not actually paying the wages, are they the caring employer? But never mind. The poor caring employers do have one big worry despite all this public largesse. See, moves to restrict the number of hours student visa holders can work will limit the aged care caring employers giving them a job out of the goodness of their dear warm hearts. Even though the Spencer Street Falfax no longer Falfax reported this week, student visa holders are heavily relied upon to fill low-paid care roles. What a slur, as if the sector would use public funds to exploit workers, or more correctly, as few of them public funds, that is, as possible. And so they are lobbying the government to give them a break and retain their pool of labour they so care about. Restricting the hours they can exploit, or oh, hang on, um, rip, rip off? No, no, silly. No, no, uh, provide them with work would devastate aged care, they said. The government's just not doing enough for them. It would be silly, of course, for the government to run the sector itself. Gross inefficiency. No, just pay for it. But hang on, that's enough of the mundane and prosaic. Now, finally, our blanket coverage of the greater bit, our head of state. Sorry, what's that, Annie? Time's up. But but I've got... Sorry, listener, blame Annie. But don't forget, we all have to chorus our allegiance too. Good morning. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, very perfect uh, timing to be talking to Jeremy... Poxton from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. G'day, Jeremy. How are you? G'day, Annie. Uh, you know, all things considered, doing okay. How are you? <laughs> yeah, all, all things considered, edging towards the budget. And um, you, uh, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, has been very active leading up to this um, budget. Um, uh, first up, the Economic Inclusion Committee uh, that the government uh, formed actually said that, uh, yes, indeed, everybody who is on um, unemployment benefits and other uh, social security benefits are living below the poverty line 
and that they the rate should be raised. Yeah, so the you know uh, to I think like try to take some pressure off itself. Um, you know, uh, months ago now the government announced uh, this this committee, and the committee reported what everybody I think in the country expected it to, uh, with its primary recommendation that. Uh, the rate of particularly job seeker and, and youth allowance uh, needs to be raised immediately. Um, that was their, you know, they had a bunch of recommendations, but that was like their central primary uh, recommendation. And of course, that that report gets tabled, uh, and we've seen a whole lot of gymnastics um, from several government ministers who have been uh, asked about it, saying very uh, cynical, deflective things about you know, how they, there were a lot of recommendations and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at them, but sort of like ignoring that like pure fact of the report that recommended the, the committee they sent, they set up themselves, recommended that you must uh, list these, list these payments or people's lives are going to be destroyed in this budget. Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, the Unemployed Workers Union actually points out that new polling from Essential suggests that half of Australian voters support an increase in job seeker payment. Yeah, this isn't this isn't five or ten years ago. Thank God, there's been you know the last even like the last couple of years. You know, we've seen not just not just that polling. Um, you know, which which really does um, capture the community sentiment. I think I think it was only something like you know twenty six percent of that sample opposed. That's a big majority. Of community support um, for these for these for these payments, um, you know we know you know even far flung conservative voices are coming out uh, and saying it needs to it needs, it needs to raise a lot of our members, a lot of people in the community um, have been calling, um, hassling, lobbying, whatever you want to call it, uh, their MPs, um, and basically as, as, you know as we as we speak, even even a big percentage over twenty percent of the lower house Labor MPs. I think the 17 of them now have now broken ranks and publicly stated that this budget, um, the, the rate needs to raise. Um, I don't think we've seen such support um, for this, um, at, least, at, least not in, at least not in the last couple of decades or, or even, even, even my lifetime. And yet, nevertheless, um, you know, government still seems poised uh, not to guarantee a lift to everybody in this budget. Well, um, there was a little break in the... Um the dam wall, because there was some bleating about increasing the rate for people over 55, which I'll have to add, uh, 55 originally for women was their pension age. So mm-hmm. retaining people on uh, job keeper rate is saving the public purse effectively from paying an aged pension. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's <laughs> completely right. You know, we, we know that the... You know numbers and demographics of people on job seeker um, are skewing are skewing older now. Um, you know we know think the government isolated that you know the, the fastest and fastest growing and the biggest demographic now um, on on job seeker are, are people um, over over fifty five. And yeah, as you were saying, that's got to do with that. It's got a lot to do with um, the changes which Labor <laughs> instigated last time they were in government. The raise in, in the pension age. There are like a lot of people now, um, in, you know, before they're able to reach that pension age, being 
thrown onto thrown onto job seeker and forced to do mutual obligations and sort of in that waiting period before they can access their access their pension. Um, so that also seemed like a very calculated, divisive move um, from from a government under pressure. Um, yeah, that information leaked out. They haven't announced it themselves. They've been asked about this supposed increase to only 50, 55 plus um, on JobSeeker, but it's looking more and more likely that that's, that's what they'll do, which is an incredibly cruel and, and quite deranged measure uh, if they if they instigate it. Um, for one, um, you know, if, you, if you're over 60 on JobSeeker, that there already is a supplement um, for you, but it also just you know, divides people. It's, it's old. It's really old, deserving versus undeserving, <laughs> divide and conquer um, tactics. And yeah, yeah, all is. our members have been really pissed off about it. Uh, but it's been good to see. There's been wholesale community backlash um, to, to that to that to that measure. Um, you know, uh, we we know rates of homelessness skew younger than that. We know rates of um, suicide for people on welfare skew. Uh, young, younger than that, um, you know, we're trying not to play, or we're, we're trying not to speak under, you know, uh, that, you know that that narrative because doing generational or demographic warfare doesn't really doesn't really help anybody. So it's been like really pleasing to see, despite government trying to do that, um, that welfare recipients have stood together. You know, our, our young members um, on youth allowance, our older members, even people over fifty-five um, that we that we speak to. And that we support a thing like we didn't ask for this. We don't want this. We want everyone to have it. Like no community advocacy group has asked for this. The their own economic inclusion community certainly didn't ask for didn't ask for that. But yeah, it's a, a very cynical tactic, I think, for for government to, to take some heat um, off it, off itself. Yeah, it is really. Um, and that uh, idea of young versus old is is really tragic approach, as well as the deserving versus the undeserving. And I noticed that in uh, the the figures, like job seeker over fifty five, include about two hundred and twenty seven thousand people, which is mm-hmm. about which is about a, a third of the overall amount of people who are this. Uh, um, Effects, which is six hundred and eighty-four thousand, which is interesting, yeah. isn't it? It's a it's an inverse of the two-thirds, one-third rule, which is of people who support an increase in the rate. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, completely like you know nailed it on the on the head there, and it's it's really it's hard to overstate how damaging it is for, for governments to, to, to do this. You know, they've, they've done this with, you know, done these kind of measures um, in, 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 in other areas, but there was so much, ang- you know, as well as, the, as well as the outrage, there was so much anguish for, for folks um, who were you know, under, under 55. Because um, when you, when a government sort of announces this and announces like a certain group as deserving more income support than others, if you're not in that deserving group, you know, you're, you're you're made to feel that government doesn't want to support you. Um, that you know, you're 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 the problem. These are people like really struggling um, and feeling like if the government doesn't uh, you know, support them, um, that they you know that they'll feel like you know government doesn't want me. Doesn't, government doesn't want me around. The government doesn't value my life. The government doesn't think I'm important. The government doesn't think I. Does that have targeted support? Unlike it's 
submarines and, and stadiums and, and text out. And we're really, we're already you know, getting a lot of like very anguished messages from people from younger younger demographics um, because you know this is a you know we'll we'll see what happens on Tuesday. It doesn't seem like it's going to be good. Um, even the proposed increases to over fifty five seems like a, a drop in the ocean. There's this talk that it's only going to be like a couple of bucks extra a day for them anyway. Uh, but those people who seemingly are going to miss out entirely uh, being given being given no hope um, by this by this government in the budget, and it's hard to you know underestimate the you know, the pure not just like the material damage which we all know about, and I can talk about all the meals people are skipping and have you know, kind of what their energy bills and being driven into homeless, but the, the sheer like psychic damage of doing that to people, um, you know, we're already seeing some of the results of it people contacting us in, in the union and we're really fearful um you know this might be a budget that you know, really really breaks people um you know labor spent you know several a decade years uh in in opposition sort of talking on one side of their mouth saying that yeah 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 well you know when we get in maybe we'll look at supporting you people i feel like people are like hanging on to like a little like tiny symbol of hope um and it seems like that might be extinguished which is you know very grim scary yeah. and, and awful well, you know, the thing the thing about it is, that you, as you're pointing out, we're talking about not just policy, we're talking about community and mm. genuine community and what society really means. And, uh, you know, valuing uh, nuclear subs for war creation compared to having a strong society, uh, I mean, it's a fairly stark difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's um, this last couple of weeks and, and this budget is, has 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 made you know that that darkness you know more more you know more more avert. It's it's literally you know they're they're banking on about a budget surplus now, but you know it's literally like you can see and and people are awake to this. They can see all the money, all the billions they're spending, you know, on on the war chest, all the billions that they're spending on the rich, and then they see you know the Jim Chalmers press conferences. They see what Labor is saying about. Oh, how how hard it is for us to give uh, low-income people money, and we inherited this bad budget, and it's 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 it's, it's too difficult. I think like people are seeing through that through that BS, right? Because it's so it's so stark. Like you know, budgets are always about choices, and yeah, you know, it's budgets, about choices. At least in my lifetime, I've always funneled more money to to the well-off than um, than than the low-income. Um, but this one's like really stark, and I think like extra stark that it's a Labor government, um, you know, doing this as well. Uh, you went down to uh, demonstrate outside uh, Albanese's office in Merrickville. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that event? Yeah, so um, last last Friday, um, you know, in and around um, all this all this talk um, about um, budget constraint, and then the whispers about only maybe only those over fifty five would get the raise. You know, we're really compelled. By our membership to, to hold an action, so about a hundred of us um, gathered outside um, Anthony Albanese's electorate office um, in in Marisol, um, where we you know basically just gave the megaphone, the microphone um, to to welfare recipients, and they were opening their hearts and opening their demands for Albanese. You know, we heard from a whole range of heard from a whole range of people. You know, we heard from. A single mum at the rally, um, who was 
you know, talking about the devastation of, you know, having to make uh, terrible, terrible choices of, you know, support, material support, uh, to give her own child. Um, you know, we, we heard from a younger homeless man about the battle and how the welfare system helped, like, trap him on the streets um, in, in poverty. Um, heard, from, heard, from, heard from a lot of people. Um, you know, we got everyone who, everyone who came uh, to write. Obviously, obviously, Anthony wasn't there. Um, and the, and the cops were there to, to block off the office, so he didn't get much access. Um, but they let one of us in to, you know, basically we went around the protest and got the, got, you know, got, got dozens and dozens of people there um, to write their messages um, to, to the Prime Minister. Um, and thankfully, the Australian Federal Police let one of us in to hand-deliver um, all those messages. Again, you know, we just, we just want to know, you know, we, we want the government to know that there's community outrage um, about this. They, they can't hide, um, you know, from this. Um, people, people are suffering and will continue to, to show up and, and protest. Thanks for talking to us today, Jeremy. Let's hope there's a, a reasonable outcome at, on this budget. Fingers crossed. My hopes are low, but let's, let's see what happens. Thanks for having me, Annie. Yeah. That was uh, Jeremy Poxton from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union and more strength to their arm. Uh... I lost me job when me boss went broke First time in 30 years I've been out of work I thought I'd apply for unemployment benefits so off I went down to Centrelink I stood in line that stretched out the front door When I finally got to the counter I asked for a form They said I should have rung up or used the internet Cause that's the way they do things now at Centrelink Slightly disgruntled I went home and made the call When I finally spoke to a human it was half past four I was hot and dry and I needed a drink I'd put in a hard day's work at Centrelink They asked all sorts of questions about who did what with who So wonder they didn't want to know the last time I had a poo They gave me a long list of documents to bring Tomorrow when I went back to Centrelink Now being unemployed is bloody hard work I've been busier than a bookmaker's clerk Paperwork and interviews take 40 hours a week You'd think that I was working at Centrelink I had to prove who I was at least a hundred times Passport and library card and unpaid parking fines You should have known who I was, at least that's what you think I was interviewed by me brother-in-law, he works at Centrelink. Then I had to see someone called the job provider. But he was on stress leaves, I talked to his offsider. But old mate didn't have a clue, he was thick as two short planks. Seemed anyone can get a job working at Centrelink. He said I needed retraining and he sent me on my way. To a seminar that taught me how to write a resume. I did a few courses and got a ticket in OHS. Now I'm fully qualified to work at Centrelink. Well, being unemployed is bloody hard work. I've been busier than a bookmaker's clerk. 
Paperwork and interviews take 40 hours a week You'd think that I was working for Santa Lee Now I know public servants who don't work as hard as me They get holidays and super and 50 grand a year Now it's time for this injustice to end I'm asking for a pay rise from Santa Lee That little Johnny Howard, he's a clever little bloke Without us even knowing, he's got us working for the doll He's bodged up the figures, he didn't even blink Cos we've got full employment, we're all working for Settling Yeah, being unemployed is bloody hard work I've been busier than a bookmaker's clerk Paperwork and interviews take 40 hours a week You'd think that I was working for Santa Link I'm working me ass off here at Santa Link You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. I've come to the end of the program. That was Working for Centrelink, if you didn't guess it, by uh, Errol G. And uh, we're, as I said, at the end of the program. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. Uh, Asia Pacific Currents, yeah. And uh, to, today we uh, spoke to Aaron Mervogan about the uh, being handcuffed at... Uh, Andrew Giles' office when he went with uh, uh, refugees and supporters to his office, the Immigration uh, Minister's office in Thomastown, to say uh, that 12,000 refugees have been left in limbo. Uh, Laura, save the Preston Market uh, meeting coming up. Uh, She told us about that. That's the public meeting, May the 12th, 6.30 at Preston Civic Town Hall in Gower Street in Preston. Uh, Driftwood, which is a musical being uh, uh, until May the 20th at uh, Chapel on Chapel. This is the week that was, and Jeremy Poxton giving us an update on the Australian unemployed workers uh, uh, pushing the government to raise the rate. Uh, We'll go out with uh, Looking Out for Country. Talk to you next week.
3CR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the Community Radio Codes of Practice. The Codes of Practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children and the responsibility... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.